0: Well, good morning, family. It's good to be with you. If you're online, thank you for joining us online. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here at Grace Community Church, Sterling. It is a pleasure to get to spend some time with you. Um, before we get into the word, I just wanted to let you guys know that um, we're doing some really neat things in our community, and we have been laboring really over the last four or five months trying to care for the community as we have all been impacted by by COVID nineteen and and everything that relates to that. And we continue to support Sterling and, and Loudoun County in a number of different ways. But I would encourage you that, that as a church, we really do three things. We, we come together on Sundays, the, the fellowship of the saints in order to, to worship God in a, a covenant community and to hear the word of God and sit under the word of God. We have our small groups where our desire is for you to experience real biblical community and by that I mean relationships that are centered on the fact that we are all family in Christ that we are united and in union with Christ and then we have our outreaches our efforts to reach and, and be a blessing to our community not just so that we might be a service organization but that our service might open doors for us to share about the love of Christ and so I want to encourage you we are doing a lot we just uh, packed 500 backpacks to be distributed this week so kids who need backpacks families who've been impacted and they can't afford to to provide for their own children uh, we are doing our best to to supplement uh, the needs in our area and we just want to I want to encourage you and invite you personally to take part in that if you'd like to do so it's as easy as texting uh, 474747 with the word outreach again you can do that here in person you can do that online but you text 474747 with the word outreach and we will give you the information about how you can get connected in this. And if you, if you don't feel like you, you could lead a small group or you, you, know, you want to speak in front of a bunch of people, this is something that you can do to be involved with the body of Christ and to be involved in our community. To care for and love the people that we live with, our neighbors. Uh, well, we have been going through a series on the mission of, of grace coming to church, and then last week we talked about really our ultimate why, the fact that we are called, we are made you and I, not just Christians but everyone we 've all been created, whether or not we fulfill this purpose or not, we have been created and purposed to bring glory to God, and the other side of that coin is that we are, we are called really to love god and we 're going to hear about what that looks like today, but before we do, I, I remember when I was in high school and, and even in college. We had these these little booklets that they were kind of it was a bit of contraband called uh, Cliff's Notes, or, or maybe you're familiar with Spark Notes. But you were required to read either Don Quixote or Hatchet or uh, you know a Tale of Two Cities, something in your school studies. And some of us would not. <laughs> And so we would get these spark notes, these cliff notes, and, and really they were, you know, rather than being 200 pages of reading, it'd be 10 to 20 pages of reading. And the goal of these books were, or these little booklets were intended to give us a, uh, an, an overview, get the gist of what the book was saying, really so that you might be able to speak intelligibly about it, maybe and write a paper, you know, with some some ethical gray area or maybe not so gray area as it related to, to fulfilling your requirements, but the, the books were intended and I think they, they're called study aids, or they, they were intended to give you a better understanding, maybe a map for understanding the books themselves. And today I wanted to look at an interaction that Jesus has with some, some individuals who are asking him, really, for some Cliffs notes. They, they want to, for him to give them a kind of a, a light summary response for what the Bible has to say. Now, unlike our efforts, which which are you know, unlike our efforts, which were not necessarily always good when it came to Cliff's notes, Jesus gives a really helpful response, and uh, He's going to help us as we as we study. So, if you could stand with me, we we stand when we read the Word of God. We find that it's it's a way of engaging our bodies and showing respect to the words that God has for us. We're going to read out of Matthew. Chapter uh, 22, verses 34 through 48. So we're going to read that out together. And I'm going to try and read slowly, so read along with me. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love the Lord your God. I'm sorry. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have given us such a vast disclosure of your will in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that you've, you've given us a great wealth of knowledge about who you are, who we are, what creation is, what you expect of us, all of these things wrapped in the stories, the poems, the narratives, the letters of Scripture. And at the same time, you, you condescend to us, you reach down and give us this clarifying statement of purpose, this clarifying uh, compass that allows us to look forward and, and obey you with clarity, to make a make a, a way forward as we consider all the things that are commanded of us. God, I pray that we would embrace this purpose, embrace this commandment, that we would seek to love you with everything that we have, and in so doing, Lord, that we would we would overflow with love for our neighbor. Pray that you bless us as we study your word, open our eyes and ears to hear to see and hear what you have in this word, and then open our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this conversation really begins with a great question with a bad motive. A great question with a bad motive. Uh, you have these two relig- religious sects, the uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, they were opposing groups within Judaism, and they had various differing beliefs. If you were to back up a little bit, you would see that the Sadducees, among other things, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in a physical resurrection. And and so they had previously posed a question to Jesus that Jesus, he really dismantles them. And the Pharisees are watching and they take this opportunity to jump in and say, okay, well, maybe we can challenge him. And part of the dynamic here that we need to appreciate is that in this culture, it's a, it's kind of a shame honor culture. In, in, in Western culture, that tends to be less of an issue. Uh, shame is largely something that, that doesn't necessarily dictate our behavior, but in this culture especially, shame dictates uh, behavior, it, it allows people to follow or not follow. And so these groups are actively and publicly trying to engage Jesus in a way that would call his ministry into question. And so they're trying to discredit him and, and the, we see that the Pharisees rejoin their efforts. If you look at verses 30, 37 and 38, or sorry, 30, uh, yes. I've lost my place. 34. Uh, they gathered together and 35. One of them, a teacher of the law, answers him, or asks him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Now, Matthew is helpful in that he doesn't, he doesn't just tell us that this Pharisee was curious. He wasn't just interested to find out what was going on. It says that the lawyer, the, this representative of the Pharisees, was asking in order to test Jesus. Now, again, this was actually something that, that the Pharisees and religious individuals within Judaism would do. They would look at the Old Testament, all of the teachings, and if you were to go and tally it up, you'd, say, you'd see that there's about 600 really, 613 commands in the Old Testament. So it makes sense on one level for them to go and say, okay, what's most important? Because there are commands like, okay, don't boil uh, a, a, an animal in its mother's milk. And then there are commands like, you shall not murder. And clearly, one has more direct bearing on our lives than the other. And so there's a sense in which this makes sense that they would try to prioritize Scripture, try to find out how do we, how do we figure out what the hierarchy of these commands are. But the, there's no objective way of doing so. Or at least not not from Scripture itself. Scripture doesn't necessarily give us these commands and say these are the most important and these are the lesser important. Now we do see that God gives us the Ten Commandments and He writes the Ten Commandments with it says his finger on a stone, on stone tablets. So that carries, maybe carries a little bit more weight than some of the other commandments we see. But beyond that, we don't see any story of, of, of prioritization. In Scripture and so this was actually kind of an academic thing that they would sit around and do you know Bill what do you think the most important commandment is and Bill would give his explanation and then Sam would say oh well, you know I disagree with you because you haven't taken into account this aspect of the law and they'd go back and forth and their hope was that Jesus would say something that they could then argue with and dismantle. Uh, now what's interesting is that Jesus goes directly towards one of the most well-known commands that the that the Jewish people had you shall love the Lord your God, and in fact, if you 're familiar with, with Judaism, they would, they would rec- recite what 's called the uh, Shema: "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, or heart, soul, and uh, strength." It says in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. So Jesus he recites the second part of the Shema, and he gives this profound response. And he says that the biggest, the best, the most important thing that you can do is to love God. And, and Jesus, he's, a, he's a, an amazing uh, debater because he, he doesn't go for behavior, but he addresses an underlying disposition that would really determine behavior. You know, we as people, we want the list. You want the list. I want the list. Give me the list. What are the ten things that I need to do, God, in order to be saved what are the what are the most important things to what do i need to say what incantation can i you know what potion do i need to what do i do because these are things that we can control i can i can take this water and I can pour it out that's a behavior that i can accomplish i can go to church i can read the i can crack open the bible and look at words and allow those words to go through my brain and i can read the bible i can pray dear god and i can even in a rote sort of way i can do these things but Jesus doesn't begin with these concrete behaviors. He begins with a a disposition, an affection. You can't muster affection. You know, there was, especially in the 90s, this whole uh, push towards love. It's a verb, and yes, it is a verb, because love expresses itself in action. But it's not just a verb. It's a verb that's motivated by an affection. If I were to say to my wife, uh, I love you, and, and by that I mean that I do things for you, but there was no affection behind it, she would not appreciate it. You know, if I, if I were to give her flowers and she were to say, oh, why would you do this? Well, because that's what's expected of me as a husband, and I'm just trying to be a good husband. That would not necessarily ring of love. It would ring of obligation and duty, but it would not ring of love. Love involves more than just action. It involves disposition. And, and when I say that, I mean there, there's an orientation that we have towards God when we, we love him. You know, you and I, I mean, maybe not you, but I'll speak for myself. I, I want to oftentimes obey God with my actions but disobey him with my heart. You know, God, I'm, I'm not going to cuss, but I'm going to think about some angry things. You know, God, I'm not going to steal that thing, but I'm going to wish I had it all day long. You know, our our heart has to be in line with our actions, and he calls us to this profound obedience that goes beyond just outward behavior. So he says that we are to love. If we get this motivational command right, the other things fall in place. But he doesn't just say love. He says, um, love the Lord your God. He says, "Love the Lord your God." And it's worth noting that he says it this way. He says, "Love, the Lord, your God." Our love begins with, with God's love. Right? He doesn't just say, "Love God." God is not just this entity that Jesus is speaking about, who, who exists outside of creation, and with whom we have some sort of interactions with based on God's interactions with creation. No, He calls him "the Lord, the master." And these people that he had been speaking to, they were well familiar with the covenants of God. And if you don't know what a covenant is, it, it's, it's like a contract, but it's more relational, and it's, it's made in blood. When you look at Scripture, and you see God enact these various covenants, they were agreements that were, uh, that were ratified with blood, either by a blood sacrifice or with Jesus Christ, the new covenant, his own personal blood. So this is not just a, a you know, we're going to have this agreement and we're both going to sign, sign on the dotted line. But there's blood, there's life, there's commitment involved. And he says, you are to love the God who is your Lord because he first loved you and therefore saved you. In Deuteronomy, this, this Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. <clears throat> he is saying that this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Even the Ten Commandments, we see these commands, they begin with the prologue which says the God who brought you out of Egypt, he speaks of the God who's enacted a relationship with you. Family, when you and I interact with God, we're not just interacting with this being out there who has expectations of our life and and commands us to do things, but we're we're interacting with the God who has expressed love toward us. When Jesus says that our greatest command is to love God, he's not calling us to do anything that God hasn't already done for us. He's already loved us. He's already committed, committed to us in a way that, that, that we otherwise never would commit to. He's basically, he's said, I want to marry you. You know, when I, when I got engaged to my wife, what I didn't understand fully was that I was saying, I, in my commitment, in, in my asking her to marry me, I was asking her to receive my forever love To receive my committed for the rest of my life Till death does us part love And that's, that's the love that God calls us to Because he's already committed to that for us Love the Lord your God He's a covenantal Lord And it's a relationship that's been initiated by God the, the Pharisees knew this. They understood this. And he, he doesn't just say, love the Lord. Your, he says, love the Lord, your God. Again, this is, this is a relational connection. This is a, a relational interaction. Oftentimes, I, I forgot my Bible, but oftentimes, if you can imagine that, this is the Bible. We read the Bible, and, and we look for commands, and we treat God like a boss. And we say, okay, boss. Give me my list for the day. What are my action items? Give me my top 10. What are my most important tasks for the day, God? Okay, I'm going to read my Bible because that's that's what the boss tells me to do. I'm going to pray for five minutes because that's what the boss tells me to do. It's Sunday. I'm going to go to church because that's what the boss tells me to do. But no, Jesus says that we are called to love the Lord our God. That, that hour, he says, love the Lord, your God. He's not just saying, love the Lord who is God. He's saying, love the Lord who is your God. He is God for you. He is God to you. He's in relationship with you. You know, Mary, my wife, she is not just a wife. She's my wife. She's not your wife. She's my wife. And that my carries serious, significant relational weight. And here we see Jesus say that we are called to love the Lord, your God. He's a covenantal Lord. He's our God. And we obey because he has shown himself not only to be God, but to be our God. Family, one of the most exciting things about about committing your life to God is that he is willing and able to commit to you. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust him with your life, you're not just jumping into a black hole of a void relationally. You know, sometimes we fear relationship and we fear committing to things because we've been hurt. You know, so-and-so, you know, I, I was in this dating relationship and so-and-so, uh, they, they took my heart and then uh, got out their magic bullet and they put my heart in the magic bullet and they made salsa. You know, and that's kind of how we feel about relationships. I don't want to be hurt. And so when we think about a relationship with God someone who we can't even see or, or hear from normally, not to say that he is incapable of, of making that possible, but normally, we, we feel an uneasiness. But, but what Jesus is saying is you may not be able to see or hear or, or feel him necessarily, but he has expressed a love that is a committed love. And you can, you can be vulnerable with him. Love the Lord your God because he has made himself available to you. He's shown his love. And he, he goes on to say, with all your heart, soul, and mind. And if you would look at various passages, there's one uh, parallel passage in Mark where Mark adds strength. And if you look at in Deuteronomy, uh, it says, with all your heart, uh, soul, and strength. And so there, there's, there's some differences in the versions, but don't let that freak you out. The point that Matthew is getting at, the point that the writer of Deuteronomy was getting at, the point that, that Mark is getting at is... It, it, what part of your body or mind or it being exists, that part needs to be devoted to God. Does your hand need to be devoted to God? Yes. Does your mind need to be devoted to God? Yes. Does your heart need to be devoted to God? Yes. Does your time need to be devoted to God? Yes. Does your money need to be devoted to God? Yes. Devotion is exactly that, giving yourself. We're not devoted when we say, well, uh, I've got five minutes today, God. I'm gonna give that to you. No, devotion is all-encompassing all of your desires, all of your interests, all of your thoughts, all of your actions, all of your relationships, not to say that it becomes this one-dimensional, you know, I I go and I become a monk and I go to uh, the Shenandoah Mountains and and find a, a dark cave and just sit in the cave and try to commune with God. No, but in every action and interaction that we have, we have this bent towards God, So when I go to the grocery store, I'm not just going to buy groceries. I'm going to buy groceries as a way of loving my family, caring for my family to honor the God who loves me. When I go to work, I'm not just going to write, you know, debug some code or or write an email or, you know, help some kids. I'm going to do those things because God has given me this skill set and it's a way by which I can bring glory to God. You know, in our relationships, you don't just have to talk to everyone and just, hey, my name's Bill. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord? You know, that that's weird. Some some people have a gift and, and people receive them when they do that, and God bless them. But for most of us, we have to build relationship around small talk. And, you know, how are the kids? You know, how's your dog? This weather's crazy, and do you like the fall? But then it begins to dig deeper and, and having a a relational focus that, that is centered on Jesus means that we have a sensitivity and we, we think about that person in relationship to their relationship to Jesus. How can I help this person come to know and love and, and appreciate God better? And sometimes that means I'm gonna share the gospel. Sometimes that means I'm gonna bring them a pie. Sometimes that means I'm gonna put my arm around them and, and weep with them. Sometimes it means I'm going to, to celebrate with them. But, but we, have this, we have this focus, not only on this, this horizontal, but, but how does this horizontal connect with our relationship with God. God calls us to wholehearted devotion to him. And and he could have been done there. And I think that sometimes we like to think that he's done there. And so we go to church, we devote ourselves to God, we do things, but again, we trick ourselves and those around us by having a heart that is not fully devoted to God. And so Jesus, he goes further because he says, I know that, that you Pharisees and, and Eddie Barnes and, and the rest of us, we, we tend to trick ourselves into thinking that we're obeying this command when we're not. And he says, and so here's the litmus test. And he goes on to say, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They asked him for the, the, the greatest commandment. And he says, okay, here's the greatest commandment. But you want to know how you're doing that one right? Do this one right. We we These guys, and these guys were steeped in religion. These Pharisees, they had memorized sections of scripture. Some of them, possibly the entire Old Testament. They, in many ways, you could talk to them and, and think to yourself, man, this guy is a PhD in awesomeness. They are they are followers of God in the greatest of way. You know, th- what does Deuteronomy say? Well, which part? And they would just tell you. And, and they had synthesized Scripture. That means that they had, they had thought through the, the overarching themes of Scripture. They had uh, figured out, okay, what does it look like for me to tithe? Okay, if I'm going to tithe and give 10%, we think, you know, 10% is, you know, 10% of my, my paycheck. But they had thought, well, you know, when I buy spices, and, and when I bring things into the household, I'm going to give 10% to the church as well. And, and Jesus even calls them out, you, you guys tithe from your spice rack, but you don't, you don't love me fully. They were religious people, and, and they could probably have convinced themselves, oh, yes, I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And he says, but, but this, this is, do you love your neighbor as yourself? And you, and you might ask yourself, okay, well, Jesus, what do you mean by neighbor? But in Matthew, he had already established earlier on that, that neighbor was not just the guy to your right or the gal to your left, you know, or, or the person that you found most convenient to reach out to, but your neighbor was just the people that you find in your path in life. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. We can fake God love. Oh, I love you, God. We can fake it with ourselves. We can, we can sing and the worship team can sound awesome. And we can just, This is amazing, but all that's really happening is we're getting pumped because Carmenji is beating that bass and the drums are getting punished and it's awesome sounding and encouraging to us. But our heart isn't necessarily engaged toward God. We can be fake God lovers. And we do this every day when we measure our piety, when you and I measure how, how good we're doing with the Lord. Maybe you have a, someone that you, you talk to, someone who disciples you, and, and they ask you, you know, how's your soul? And this is what I often do. Well, how, how many times have I read the Bible this week? Okay, six. Okay, well, add that to how many times have I prayed? Have I been kind to my family? Well, there was that I was grumpy. Okay, now do the math, carry the four. I'm Okay. I'm doing all right, pretty good. And, and we measure our piety by, by these outward behaviors without any sort of question about, does my soul long for the Lord? Does my heart long to know and love and honor and cherish and be satisfied in God? Or am I just satisfied with, with checking off the list? And I, guys, the list is good. Read the Bible every day. Read the Bible. Re- you, we all need to read more than we read, Probably. Memorize scripture, pray scripture, worship. I I joke, but I love our worship team. I love the the effort they put into it. I love the fact that we try to raise our affections to the level that that is proportional to the goodness and the greatness of God. It is not bad to, to, to celebrate God exuberantly. But it is bad to celebrate exuberantly and say it's about God when it's really just about good music. We measure our piety by our actions, but Jesus is saying, no, no, no. you need to measure it by your love. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, and he says it this way in one of the most well-known chapters, even even among people who don't necessarily ascribe to Christianity. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith to remove the Shenandoah Mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the goal, not these behaviors. Love is the goal. Reading your Bible, praying, participating in church, tithing, these are all good things, but they're a means to an ultimate end. It is so easy for us to just take the means and make them, the, okay, the goal for today is to read my Bible. And family, I get it. Sometimes that's where you are. <laughs> that is success. It's either I read my Bible and that's success, or, you know, I steal four things from the 7 because that's where my soul lives. And, and success is not stealing. I understand that, that salvation and, and holiness is a progressive process. God working out his character in us is a progressive process. So I don't mean to shame anyone who's, whose goal is to just make it happen. But my, my desire is for us to catch a vision for a depth of love toward God, which is available to us all, that motivates us and gives us the kind of strength and grace to do things with radical abandon. Reading your Bible, these are all good things but they're a means to an end. Now Jesus makes a final statement about the combination of these two verses in in verse 40, or these two commands in verse 40. He says in verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, you will see in Scripture in the New Testament, the Old Testament referred to as the law, or the law and the prophets, or the law and the prophets and the writings. And that tends to be a summarizing statement, to be to, to refer to the Old Testament. When Jesus was was ministering, they didn't have the Old Testament, they just had the Testament. And they would refer to it as the law, it, it, oftentimes if they were specifically dealing with either the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, or if they were just talking about all of the Mosaic law. But, but oftentimes they'd say law and prophets and, and writings or law and prophets to mean all of Scripture. And so here he says, all of Scripture can be summarized or it really, it hinges on, not just summarize, but it hinges on these two commands. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and, and, and mind, or, and if you, if you love your neighbor as yourself, then all of these scriptures will, will follow. He says that, that these two things are really the cliff's notes for all of scripture. There are 613 Old Testament commands can you imagine what life would be like if, if we were just, that's what we had to do? Is it just a list? 1 through 613. Memorize them, learn them, obey them. And, and the, the Pharisees had tried to do that. And in another place it says that, that when they would bring a, someone to become a, a Pharisaical convert, they would become so condemned by the process the Pharisees would go through, they'd become twice The the son of Satan, it says, than they were before. They would be condemned because to carry the weight of these commands without any sort of uh, motivational directive, it makes it almost impossible. You know, I remember when I was learning to drive, God bless my family, my dad would teach me, and uh, we would be driving down the road, and he would say, I want you to set your eyes on the horizon. You know, look as far down the road as you can and make sure you don't get stuck looking at the lines. You know, if, especially a young driver, you would be like, oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, oh, oh. And you see the dotted lines passing. But he said, no, I want you to look all the way down the road and allow that to direct your path. Because you're going to see traffic ahead, you're going to see bends in the road ahead. If I focused on that, my driving would remain straight. I would stay in the lane. I wouldn't swerve off to the side. I wouldn't hit anyone. And the reality is Jesus is saying the horizon is these two commands. Love the Lord your God with, all, with everything that you are, everything you are, everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Love that person who popped in your mind and you thought to yourself, do I have to love that person? Yes. You probably should forgive them right now. What about, what about my family member who's an, who's an idiot? What about that person who hurt me? What about my neighbor who they, they're always playing loud music at one in the morning? What about my, my neighbor who's always up in my business and, and, and telling me to stop playing my music at one in the morning? What about, what about, yes, whoever the what about is, that's a person that God is calling you to love as yourself, And your love for God, my love for God, is confirmed by our willingness to lay down our life, to lay down our rights, to lay down our, you know, this is America. I should be able to do X, Y, and Z without regard for what my neighbor thinks of me. Our love for God is confirmed or denied by the way that we treat our neighbors, especially those neighbors that are difficult to love. (laughs) And if we keep those those two commands out in front of us, our path begins to straighten out and this Christian life begins to make some sense. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an easy road, but it means it's a straight and a clear road. The reality is these are tough commands. They're tough for you, they're tough for me. God calls us to a kind of obedience that that isn't fakeable. He doesn't want us to be able to trick others or ourselves. He wants us to have to be faced with the reality that, man, I'm not very good at this. You know, maybe you got to church by the skin of your teeth, and you had some strong conversations with the other people in your car, and you're thinking to yourself, you're just really frustrated with your level of piety, because you're still measuring by whether or not you, you did the right things. The good news of the gospel is that that we love the Lord our God. He has already expressed love for us. If you're in this room and you are trying to do things in order to win relationship with God, it won't work. That's not how it works. There is no stairway to heaven. There is a stairway from heaven. And Jesus came down and and he has made a way for us through him. And because of that, we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We can love our neighbor as ourselves. Family, what areas of your life need to change to better reflect a love for God? How, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your energy? How do you, how do you orient yourself around these, you know, they're called spiritual disciplines, these Um, If you come from other church traditions, they're means of grace. How do you relate to those things? Are they, you know, are they on a list? It's not that, lists are not bad. You know, I know some of you live and die by lists and you're like, please don't, I, I need my lists. Lists are fine. But the list is a means to an end. The end is to know and love and serve our God. If the list becomes the end, then that's when we're out of step. What areas of your life do you need to take back to God and say, God, would you redeem this for me? Would you take my my time in the word and would you make it a moment for me to love you? Would you take my time in prayer and make it a moment for me to experience your love? Would you take my time at church and and make it a moment for me to worship you from not just my words and my, my lungs, but from my heart? What areas of your life need to change as a result of Embracing a love for God and then secondly who do you need to extend love to as a natural outworking of your love for God God will challenge you I'd love to think that the more mature we get the easier this thing gets but at least in my experience and, and I recognize that I'm not as mature as I could be or as far along as I could be but in my experience the, the longer that you're in this the harder some of this gets because God goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And the things that we thought we were good with, he says, you know what? Let's peel back the layer a little bit further. And we realize, oh man, my love does not go deep enough. But, but the encouragement is that Jesus came to empower us, to enable us to do this. He gives us the Holy Spirit who enables us to do this, to walk and step with, with him, to fill us with his fruit. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and and confirm that love by loving your neighbors as yourself.